Well, last month we celebrated Mother's Day, and today we celebrate Father's Day. I am mindful of the differences between Mother's Day and Father's Day that is reflected in the gifts that are given to the respective parties. But more than that, I'm also mindful of the differences between men and women, and I believe there are differences, and I am grateful for it. It seems to me that women are more introspective, more thoughtful than men. For instance, a woman will ask, am I in love? Am I being emotionally and creatively fulfilled? Do these pants make me look fat? They just see things different from men. Men, not so much. We don't think in those terms. In fact, I read someone said, men are sensitive in strange ways. If a man has built a fire and the last log does not burn, he will take it personally. Well, we do. I don't know why, but I suppose it's because we think, well, I must not put it on, on the stack right or something. But we take responsibility for that. that. That log didn't burn. It must be my responsibility. I did something I shouldn't have done. Intellectually, we're different. Someone wrote, men forget everything. Women remember everything. That's why men need instant replays in sports. They've already forgotten what happened. Well, that could be true. We, we do have a tendency to forget things, and it does seem that wives have a tendency to remember things for a long period of time. Well, today we're going to look at Noah as we celebrate Father's Day. It's been a good year for Noah, actually. I read uh, last week, I believe it was, that the most popular name for a boy this year is Noah. And then there was a major motion picture called Noah. But we're going to look at the biblical account today. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, verse 22. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Now, what we're going to do today is to look at Noah as our example. And we begin with the character of a father. Now, Image is what we want people to think we are. We work on our image because I want you to think that I am this. This is our image. Reputation is actually what they believe we are. So image then is what I want you to think. Reputation, that's what you believe. Character is what I really am. Now, we see here the character of Noah in verse number 9. Look at it. These are the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. 
So the Bible says that in his character he was a righteous man. The word righteous means integrity justified before God. So Noah then was a righteous man. He was a man of integrity. You know, that would be a a good choice for an epitaph for your tombstone, if it's true, that here lies a righteous man. He was a righteous man. He had integrity before God. The Bible tells us that Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, was a righteous man. Matthew 1.19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. It's interesting that when God was looking for an earthly father for his only begotten son, he found a man who was righteous. He wanted his son to be in the family of a righteous man, and Joseph was righteous. The Bible says that Jesus was also righteous. Jesus was crucified. The centurion watched him die. Luke 23, 47 Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent, which means righteous. So, when we look at Noah, the Bible says that he was a righteous man. When we look at Joseph, the Bible says that he was a righteous man. When we look at Jesus, the Bible says that he was a righteous man. So, fathers, let me ask you a question. Are you a righteous man? If I were to ask the members of your family, would they describe you as being a righteous man? Well, you might respond, I'm not sure exactly what that means. I understand it means integrity. I I understand it means justified before God. But how do I measure that? Well, let's see. Let Let me give you some thoughts to consider As you consider the question, are you a righteous man? You see, righteousness is reflected in one's speech. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, 11, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. I remember once talking with General Bagnall, and as we talked, he said, Words mean something. What you say means something. The reason that your words are important is because they are a reflection of what's inside. I cannot see what is inside, but when you speak, it says something of what is inside. I was at a football game, and the man sitting nearby was using one expletive after another as he watched the game. And I thought to myself, his family must be proud of him. He had a very limited vocabulary. I was at a restaurant one time, and the woman who was seated nearby was complaining about everything. She didn't like the food. She didn't like the service. She didn't like anything. She complained about everything, criticized everything. I could overhear her, but I was thinking to myself, thank God I'm not going home with that woman. You you, you see, who you are is reflected in your speech. The Bible says that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So let me ask you a question. When you speak, do you give life? When you speak to your children, do you give life to those children? 
When you speak to your wife, do you give life to your wife? Do you tear down? Do you build up? Do you destroy or do you give life? Righteousness is reflected in speech. Righteousness is demonstrated in action. How do we treat those people who are helpless? The unborn, the child, the sick, the aged? Do we treat them with respect or are they merely an inconvenience to us? Because righteousness is reflected in our actions and it is characterized by truthfulness. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 verse 5, A righteous man hates falsehood. It used to be that a man's word was his bond. I remember as a boy, many times seeing my father, who was a righteous man, but seeing my father make a deal with another man simply by shaking hands. If he said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. But it used to be, and at the day, we have to have a battery of lawyers even to sign a contract. Why? Because our word's no longer good. Because we can't trust each other. The Bible says that, that Noah was a righteous man, and then it says that he was blameless. That does not mean that he was out without sin. Matthew Henry wrote, he was perfect or blameless, not with sinless perfection, but a perfection of sincerity. Sincerity is important because life will reveal the level of your sincerity. And being a Christian does not mean you are not going to have problems. I was thinking about a man everyone knows, Rick Warren. You know that he is, is, a, is a, a, a preacher of the gospel. But his son committed suicide. His wife has cancer. And Rick has health issues. So I would use him as an example because everyone knows who he is. And what I'm saying to you is just because someone is a Christian committed to Jesus Christ does not mean that that person is not going to have problems. Fathers make mistakes. Eric called me this morning, as he does every Sunday morning. He said, what are you preaching today? And I said, well, I'm preaching about Noah. He said, what are you going to say about him? And I said, well, the Bible says that he was righteous, he was blameless, and he walked with God. He said, are you going to tell about him getting drunk? I said, no, that's not in the Scripture I'm using. That comes later, but not in this particular. Point is, is that Noah was sincere in his walk with God. He was a righteous man. The Bible says that he was blameless. He was sincere in his commitment to the Lord. But folks, that does not mean we do not make mistakes. It does not mean that we do not fail. Eli was the priest of God, but the Bible says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. To me, it is tragic that his sons did not know the God he proclaimed. Being blameless does not mean that we are perfect, but it does mean we're sincere in our commitment to the Lord. Being blameless does not mean we have no problems. It does not mean we have no faults. It does not mean we have no failures. But my friend, if you are blameless, it means you're sincere about your walk with God. The Bible says that he was righteous, that he was blameless, and that he walked with God. Who we walk with says who we are comfortable with. 
we walk with those with whom we are comfortable. And to walk suggests fellowship. When, when people walk together, it suggests that they fellowship together. Linda and I walk together most every morning, and, and it is a time of fellowship for us. It's a time of talking for us and fellowshipping together. So, to walk with God then means that I'm fellowshipping with God. Men, let me ask you, do you have fellowship with God? Do you walk with Him? Do you have fellowship with God? It also suggests relationship. It means that I know this person. I'm walking with someone whom I know. That's generally true, that I walk with those I know. Well, if I ask you some questions this morning, it would be clear that you know facts about God. For instance, if I ask where was Jesus born, you could tell me. If I ask you the name of his parents, you could tell me. But those really are not the real questions. The question is, do you know him? Not do you know facts about him, but do you know him? So, as I look at Noah, the character of a father, the Bible says that he was righteous. He was a man of integrity. He was blameless. He was sincere in his relationship to God. And he walked with God. He had fellowship with God. He had a relationship with God. He knew Him. Then there are the concerns of the Father. And I think that, I think that probably all fathers, or at least most fathers, are concerned about the world into which we bring our children. We're concerned about that world. Again, I was, I was talking with Eric recently, and as we were talking about the condition of the world and so forth, I said, Eric, I almost feel that I need to apologize to you. He said, well, why is that? And I said, well, I, I, my, my generation, I received a wonderful country. I mean, it was, I, you know, it really was a wonderful country. And I said, my fear is that your generation is probably going to be the first generation that does not have such access to the American dream." that your generation is probably going to be the first generation that generally does not embrace the value system that made America a great nation. And I said, I feel like that I received such a great country, but that is not what I have given to you and we have given to you. I'm fearful that you'll be the first generation that misses that. He said, well, Dad, he said, that's all right. Because you're probably going to be the first generation to get the death panels. And I said, well, I'm not sure that's a good trade-off, but I guess that's, uh, that's the way that it might end up being. From the very beginning, our children have been born into an ungodly world. Now look at Noah's world in verse number 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Bible says the world of Noah was characterized by great wickedness. Matthew Henry wrote, The wickedness of a people is great indeed when the most notorious sinners are men of renown among them. I really think that that is one of the things that disturbs us most. We have so many people in positions of leadership who are ungodly and who encourage ungodliness. 
The Bible says that wickedness was great. Their thoughts were evil continually. God saw the acts, but He also knew the desires. God saw what they did, but He also saw the heart, and He does for us. My friend, God sees our actions, but He also knows our desires. How does a man, how does a father respond to an evil world? I think our tendency, the tendency of many of us is we want to retreat from it. We want to withdraw from it. We want to isolate ourselves from it and insulate ourselves from it. We want out of it. I hear that oftentimes by people who say, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I would never get in, involved in, in the political realm. Why not? Well, because it's so wicked, because it is so awful. Did you ever think the reason it might be that way is because we have isolated ourselves from it? We've not been involved in it. See, a lot of times we bemoan the condition of the education system, but then we withdraw from it. I'm not going to participate in that. I thank God for the godly teachers who teach in the system. I thank God for those people who are willing to go into the marketplace and be godly people in the marketplace. You see, our tendency is that we want, and I understand it, I'm the same way. Because the world is wicked, because it is a challenge to us, we want to remove ourselves from it. We want to retreat from it. But our call is to reconcile the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul wrote, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you know that's what you've been called to be? That's what Jesus meant when He said that you were to be salt. It is a recognition that the, the world is corrupt and salt is a preservative. When Jesus said that we are to be light, it is a recognition that the world is spiritually dark and we are to be light. The Bible says that God has called us to a ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we can never, my friend, we can never become weary. And we must never be defeated. Because God has called us to reconciliation. Now look at Noah. The scripture describes the world to which he lived. Their thoughts were evil. Their wickedness was continual. But he built an ark to save them. I look at Abraham. When Abraham prayed for the city of Sodom in their wickedness. When the Lord said, who will go for me? Who can I send? And Isaiah jumping up and down like a little child said, here am I, send me. Fathers, we have been called to a ministry of reconciliation the Lord has put you here at this challenging time to be salt and light in a world that is desperately corrupt. He has put you here at this time to make a difference in this ungodly world in which we live. The challenge of a father, there are two basic ones. Set an example 
Albert Schweitzer wrote, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. Now, unfortunately, there are fathers, many fathers who set bad examples. Lot did that. You know the story of, of Lot. He compromised in Sodom, and, and there he lost his testimony. When the angel came to Lot and said that God is going to judge the city, get your family out of it. The Bible says that Lot went to his family, but they didn't think he was serious. He had so compromised his life, he had so compromised his convictions in the city that even his own family didn't believe him when he spoke for God. Man, I, I think that would be such a tragic thing in a man's life, a man who claims to be a Christian, that if I stand up before my family and speak about the things of God, that they pay no attention to me. Because I've compromised my testimony. Eli, he never disciplined his sons. And the Bible says that he was the priest of God. Never disciplined his sons. And the Bible says that as a result of the lack of discipline, they grew up with a rebellious attitude towards God and towards the things of God. Man, we can set bad examples. And it's, so be careful. Whenever we are criticizing the coach, our children are listening. When we're criticizing the teachers, our children are listening. When we are not honest, our children are watching. When we don't respect the mothers of our children, they're learning what it means to be a husband. We can be bad examples, but then there are those good examples, Noah. The Bible says that he was righteous, he was blameless, he walked with God. Men, you can provide a good example for your family. Teach them to pray. Teach them the importance of church. Teach them to witness. And the way you teach them is by observation. As they see you do it, it becomes real. But if they only hear us talk and never see us do, then it is not real to them. Be good examples. Fathers are to set an example for their family, and we are to lead our families. I believe that God has placed you in your family to be the spiritual leader of your family. Unfortunately, today there are many fathers absent from the family. Merv Griffin was interviewing Lucille Ball. He said, Lucille, you've lived a long time on this earth, and you are a wise person. What's happened to our country? What's wrong with our children? Why are our families falling apart? What's missing? Lucille said, Papa's missing. Things are falling apart because Papa's gone. If Papa were here, he would fix it. I agree with that. My friend, in so many of our homes, the dad simply is not there. Weldon Hardenbrook wrote, That absence has dramatic effects on our children, especially our sons. Father not being there. You're aware, I'm sure, that 40% of the children born in America today are born out of wedlock. Father's not there. 
How in the world would we expect the government, why would we expect the education system to fix that that we are unwilling to be involved in? Fathers are missing, and in so many of the homes where the father is present, he has abdicated his responsibility. Then God puts you, according to Billy Graham, he said that the, the, the father is the counterpart of God. In your home, you are supposed to be the one who is leading your family. God has put you there as a spiritual leader, so we are to lead them to salvation. In chapter 7, verse number 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household. Then look at verse number 7. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. That blesses my heart to see that his family followed him into the ark. He was a man who led his family. They followed him into the ark. The scripture tells a story about Paul and Silas witnessing to the Philippian jailer. And the Bible says that he was saved and his household. His household also came to know the Lord. Fathers, lead your children to Christ. One of the great privileges of my life is I've had the opportunity to lead both my son and my daughter to Christ. Lead your children to the Lord. Lead them to godliness. Only you can effectively do that. School system really can't do it. The government really can't do it if it isn't in the home. Lead them to God's blessings. In chapter 9, verse number 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Lead your children, lead your family to the walk in the ways of God so that they might receive the blessings of God. I would not trade my life for anyone's I know simply because of God's blessings on my life. And I thank God for a Christian father and a Christian mother who instilled that in me at an early age. Let me conclude. Character of a father, and I look at Noah. The Bible says that he was righteous. He was a man of integrity. He was blameless. He was sincere in his relationship to God. And the Bible says that he walked with God. He had fellowship with God. He knew God. He had a relationship. The challenge of a father, set a godly example. Be what you want your children to be. Set a godly example and lead your family. I have told you this before, but it is etched in my mind. It's always been there. When we lived in Oklahoma City and it had snowed, I was outside walking. And as I was walking around the yard in the snow, I happened to look around behind me and saw Stephanie, my daughter, as she was stepping in my footprint, stretching out to step in my footprint. Now, that became so obvious to me that she was walking in the tracks that I provided. Be careful where you lead your family by where you walk because your children are following in your tracks where you're leading them. Recently, Linda and I were talking, probably as many of you, about the condition of the world and our concern for it and so forth and our frustration. Sometimes I despair that, you know, it's just so different and very concerned about it. 
Linda made what I believe was a profound statement to me. She said, you know, we might not be able to fix the world, but we probably need to be like Noah. And I said, and what is that? She said, Noah got his own family into the ark. You might not be able to fix the world, but my friend, make sure you get your own family into the ark. Today, I'm going to ask you to really consider that. And if you're here without Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the beginning point. Come to know Him. If you are a Christian, boy, you need to walk with God. You need to be obedient with God because your children are watching. Your family's watching. So during the invitation, I'm going to ask you today, if you've not committed your life to Christ, that you do. And if you have, are you in a church? Are you a member of a church? Are you involved in the church? Are you praying for your family? Are you leading them to where they need to be? I'm asking you today to commit yourself to that because it's so important. Our gracious Father and God, we come to this time of invitation and I lift up especially fathers to you. I pray, Lord, that today there will be genuine commitments to you, especially from fathers. Be with families. Lord, we lift them up to you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would protect and you would provide But, Lord, we understand that to receive your blessings, we have to be in a place where you can bless. So today, bless this invitation, Father. May there be obedience to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. God has spoken to your heart. Make that decision that he wants you to make. As you come, I'll greet you.